Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is back and better than ever for the 2021 football season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Double your initial deposit just for signing up today. Use the promo code NFL100 at checkout. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is September 22nd. I am Kyle, your host for all 716 of these episodes, at least most of the 617 episodes, I should say. It is a great day here on the 22nd of September, and we've got a great show for you with Walter Mitchell here on the Take It Easy podcast. Love Walter as a recurring guest here. We, uh, Kind of discovered Walter, even though Walter had been doing great work for uh, really six decades of his life, but uh, specifically over on Revenge of the Birds for years before that as the deputy editor over there. And uh, now he is a frequent flyer here on Take It Easy and, of course, the host of the Red Rain podcast, which, of course, I produce with him over for Revenge of the Birds. And you can check that out as well uh, by following Revenge of the Birds. So check out the Red Rain podcast. It really helps us out to to get those downloads and support from the Take It Easy crowd because Walter's been supporting us for a long time. We'll get to that in a second, but first we have an A-block story here today and it surrounds, well, really I was going to say the Cleveland Browns, but really it surrounds the Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, really all of these terrible franchises at the bottom because... I was going through uh, the NFL standings for research around the Slump Buster yesterday and uh, came upon a great, great stat that I posted on Comical Sports. People didn't respond to it quite as strongly, but I did want to uh, bring it up here on the Take It Easy podcast as a stat of the day of sorts. And maybe this is one of those, uh, we used to have a bar there of the uh, stat of the day to top all stat of the days. It's right there in our archives with the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Shame, the preseason Hall of Fame, the archive of the greatest poll questions of all time. Uh, All of these things are bits that we've done in the past that have been saved to the archives. And so maybe this is a stat of the day to top all stat of the days or, uh, you know, another way to call it. 
A S O T D T T A S O T D. A stat of the day to top all stat of the days. S O T D T T A S O T D. Simple. So, the Jacksonville Jaguars have lost 17 consecutive football games, which ties them for the longest streak in the NFL since 2009. Who are they tied with? Not one, but two 0-17 stretches by Hugh Jackson's Cleveland Browns. Mike Pettin started off with a three-game losing streak. Hugh Jackson lost his first 14 games as Browns coach, won one game, lost 17 in a row after that. So two 17-game Browns losing streaks is what the Jaguars were fighting. They can break that this weekend uh, if they lose game number 18 in a row. And the Jaguars have been the bad team that's been laughably bad. Um, If the season ended today, they'd have the number one pick in the draft, obviously a long ways away. But Jacksonville's one of like eight 0-2 teams, which is, you know, you'd expect that. There'd be eight 2-0 teams, 16 1-1 teams, and eight 0-2 teams. That there'd be a weird discrepancy between some of them. And some of that is true. I want to say the Vikings are 0-2, and... We think the Vikings are a better team than the Jaguars or the Jets or the Falcons, but those three teams are the ones I wanted to talk about specifically because right now, those three teams have the worst records in the NFL combined with strength of schedule or strength of record, the Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, and Atlanta Falcons are the three worst teams. And what's ironic about that is that last year, the three worst teams in the NFL were the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets, and the Atlanta Falcons. The Texans were also in the mix there, but the Texans were also one of the unluckiest teams in one possession games last year. So the Texans are kind of hanging around there somewhere, but they obviously beat the Jaguars in week one. And what this got me thinking about was this new trend in the NFL of teams who bottom out similarly to the Cleveland Browns, but also at a time in the NFL where the top of the NFL has never been more divided than the middle class, the bottom class, and the tanking teams in the NFL, which is where you can get these all-time long losing streaks in the NFL. Because one of the things the NFL did for years they were really good at was legislating parity in the sport. The NFL was really good at creating parity within the NFL. It was really hard to stay relevant for a long time. And a lot of that, I mean, it's, again, the math, the explanation is too simple here. But one of the reasons behind that that I wanted to emphasize was that nobody really had a dominant quarterback. You had like four or five in the NFL that really dominated the sport, like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Um, maybe Steve McNair, Kurt Warner for a time. But after that, there weren't really a ton of quarterbacks that were just dominating the NFL. Brett Favre could be one you talk about from the 90s. But even then, I think we're talking more like 2000s type where, yes, the Patriots were always great. Yes, the Colts were always great for like a decade plus. But of course you're going to have those examples. It's just always going to exist that there are teams that are going to always be good and teams that are always going to be bad as long as those teams continue to make poor decisions. The AFC North has been trafficking in that for like three decades where the Browns and Bengals have been terrible and the Ravens and the Steelers have been great. 
and now someone's going to have to explain to their boss this offseason how they finished in third place in that division well behind Baltimore and Pittsburgh, or well behind Baltimore, or well behind Cleveland, whether it's Baltimore or Pittsburgh. Probably Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh could still make the playoffs. And so there's this great study. I forgot the guy who did it. Um, it's one of those verified NFL accounts. And basically went back through 40 years of NFL history and created a spread of how, of like, in general, how many good or bad teams there are each year. And what he discovered is that there's between, like, five to six elite NFL teams. There's another eight to ten that are above average. So, you know, like, playoff teams are fighting for the playoffs, etc., then you have another 10 to 12 below average teams. And then you have about six tanking teams every single year. And every now and then the tanking teams extend across years. But something that happens is sometimes you get the generational player. And all of a sudden your team turns around because you weren't actually as bad as your record suggested in that one season. Just because you get the number one pick doesn't mean you were the worst team in the NFL the year before. Sometimes it just means you got brutally unlucky, like the Cincinnati Bengals the year that they got Joe Burrow. They started the season 0-10, and the whole way I kept saying they're the greatest 0-5 team I've ever seen, 0-6, 0-7, all the way to 0-10, because they just kept losing these heartbreaking games. They almost went into Seattle and won the first game of the season. They'd lost that game by like two points or something. So there were moments where you looked and thought, this is a better team than we think. And Cincinnati obviously then bottomed out and stripped bare the roster. And last year could have had one of those top picks. They finished fifth, um, and that was from a late charge. So obviously they did move towards the rebuilding phase later. But that year specifically, they weren't the worst team in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins were the worst team in the NFL on paper, actively trying to tank and get rid of everyone. That year, they like traded Tunsil and traded Minka Fitzpatrick and just tried to get all those draft picks that it feels like all of them have been busts. But this feels different. And those three teams specifically all give Browns tanking vibes. Because the one thing the Browns mastered under... That weird rebuild of, you know, I, I, it started out with Sashi Brown and then it was John Dorsey and now Andrew Barry and it spanned across four coaches. They took advantage of a system that said the best way to turn around your franchise is to acquire the number one draft pick in a year with a generational talent. There's usually generational talents, you know, twice every five years or so, maybe one on defense, one on offense. And Cleveland basically said, we're going to make sure that we get one of those players in one of these drafts, and they did. They got the number one pick twice. They had the number four pick in another one of those years, so in a two-year span, they had three top four picks, two number one picks, and they took Miles Garrett, and this is the part I say all the time, is that they never experienced a stretch of losing like that, and yet they've also never had a player like Miles Garrett or a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. Could they have messed up those picks? Absolutely they could have, but they didn't. And so now the Cleveland Browns get to be good for the first time in 20 to 25 years. That's going to happen to someone between the Jaguars, Jets, and Falcons, but it's not going to happen to everyone. And this is something that happens 
in Major League Baseball a lot now with the disparities of teams at the top, money, and teams that want to replicate success by tanking by following the Astros model, despite the fact that the Astros had, before Jeff Lunau ever got there in 2011, and they did that teardown where they lost more games in three years than anyone else, he got a starting block of MVP Jose Altuve, World Series MVP George Springer, and Cy Young Award pitcher Dallas Keuchel before he ever took the job, which is a pretty good starting block to have, something that, you know, Baltimore, Detroit, San Francisco, well, San Francisco did, Kansas City, um, teams of those nature who have been really bad for like five years now didn't have as their initial building blocks like the Houston Astros or a plethora of resources. Baltimore could spend money down the road, but right now they're just trying to save as much as they can. Same with the Tigers, same with the Royals, uh, same with the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the Colorado Rockies, teams of those sorts. If everyone is going to be tanking for a few select players... Not everyone is going to get those players that they strive for. Um, And I'm not going to jump the gun on any of the rookies this year. I don't know what it's going to end up being. Trevor Lawrence has struggled. Zach Wilson has struggled even more. Kyle Pitts has been, you know, just a receiver uh, who they took over potentially Justin Fields or Trey, or not Trey Lance, Justin Fields or, you know, Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase or whatever else it could end up being. But what's still interesting about that is, If these teams are going to consistently be bad for years and years and years, some of them are going to remain perpetually mediocre. And this is the difficult part of being a fan base of a team that is perpetually mediocre, is that just because you get the top picks doesn't mean it's going to work out. And this happens all the time. The New York Giants are going through it right now. Giants missed on almost every pick. They have just enough talent to be terrible at this point, or to be be perfectly mediocre they're going through the cycle of what the Browns did like four or five times before they finally righted the ship and so someone's gonna mess up here between the Jaguars Jets and Falcons and as the Jaguars try and break a losing streak that not even the Cleveland Browns had of 18 straight it makes me think about how really long this process is going to be because if we had to ask those franchises the Jaguars the Jets and the Falcons, what their long-term game plan is, you're going to get a lot of weird answers and not a lot of trust on our end. Because those are, well, the Falcons not so much, but those other two are definitely franchises we regard as perpetually mediocre. All right, let us commence with the power half hour here with our friend Walter Mitchell. Yeah, so how are you feeling two days later, Mr. 2-0? Uh, pretty fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. After the the amazing fourth down hoist to Christian Kirk down on the six yard line, other than a few play, like a couple key things like Matt Prater making the field goal and, um, then Cliff Kingsbury electing not to ice the kicker. Cardinals did just about everything wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, if you watch the end of that game, 
Um, you know, it's just they couldn't execute. They didn't execute on either side of the ball. I mean, actually, the defense got a three and out, but was still two and little under three minutes to go. And then the Cardinals had a chance to run, you know, to get first downs and run out the clock, except that they went three and out. And um, on two of the plays didn't run clock. One was Murray running out of bounds and one was an incomplete pass. So really no time went off the clock because the Vikings used a timeout. And then so they still have a couple timeouts left and it's two and a half minutes with the ball. And then they proceed to mark, even though they had a penalty, making it first and 20, they just methodically marched down to get within near chip shot um, range. And then the Cardinals just got fortunate enough that uh, failed a little bit right. Yes. And I mean, the Cardinals did enough good things to win that game, but they also did enough to lose a game. And you could say that about both teams. It was such a good game. I mean, it was so entertaining and high scoring and, you know, full of drama. Yes. And of course, if you want 40 minutes of Walter breaking down that chaotic Vikings Cardinals game, which I attest 40 minutes wasn't enough because that game was just insane. Uh, we did the Red Rain podcast on Monday, so y'all can check that out uh, over at ROTB as well. Uh, another one's dropping tomorrow, so y'all can be on the lookout for that. Um, this is a weird weekend for clock management in general. When you think about what happened with Urban Meyer towards the end of that Jaguars game, they were down a bunch, but there was a weird conversion that they didn't convert, so then they went for it and failed, and then you had the Texans um, – declining a penalty just to punt the ball, which was confusing. In the Penn State game, you had someone punting on third down by mistake. So weird, fun, weird weekend for clock management. And (laughs) Cliff Kingsbury gets to be the king of poor clock management at this point, which I've said for a while that that's just something that's a learning curve. Like LeFleur, when he forgot to, or when he kicked the field goal at the end of the game against the Bucks, that was more just like, yeah, he learned from that. He'll do better next time. But John Harbaugh, who's been around for like 12 years, is just like, Lamar, you want to go for it? Sure. All right, let's do it. Because, of course, you have that guy and you don't want to give the ball to that other guy. So altogether, weird weekend for clock management. What else did you find interesting this week? Well, with regard to clock management, it's so often damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um you know, armchair quarterbacks will go to town on on clock management because if you pass and it's it's incomplete, should have run the ball. What are they doing? If you run the ball and it's you get smashed into the line, and now it's second and ten, and you know you're setting yourself up for a third, a key third down where you know it's third and long perhaps, and you know, it, there's there's an arc to clock management, but it, I'll tell you what, it comes down to execution um, and being able to execute under pressure 
no matter what the play call is, you need to have a good play dialed up and you need to execute it. And, you know, poor execution um, has made many a coach look foolish. And, mm-hmm. of course, coaches are in charge of, you know, getting their players to execute. But it, it's also a matter of the players being able to deliver it under pressure. And with this being so early in this football season, you're bound to see more mistakes with it than I think you're bound to see later in the year when teams are a little more battle-tested and kind of been going over these scenarios. I mean, there is no way, and I was thinking this during the Cardinals-Vikings games, game is there's no way you can you know assimilate those game end situations um accurately in practice um without going full contact and without going full speed um which again makes it difficult um you know you just hope you can do it when those the time comes and and um but I, there's no one's written the book on it. It's it, it's a really fascinating part of the game, and um, I'll tell you what, Cliff Kingsbury. I'll give him credit. He elected not to ice the kicker, as most coaches do now, and um, that's the best clock management he's had. And, he had in the whole game. <laughs> it's a reverse psychology strategy, right? Is that the kicker's expecting yeah. you to ice and then they don't. And then you're like, oh, I guess I have to do it now. But kickers are also pretty consistent because it's, you know, a lot of it is the same routine over and over again, which is why, you know, Justin Tucker, we're always baffled when he misses a kick. We're always just stunned when yeah. one of those doesn't go in because it's such a routine at times for kicking. Yeah, I think. What happens is, first of all, you don't want to rush the snap. Um, you know, and sort of get your kicker to rush the kick. So, and then you're leery that you're going to, you know, at some point there's going to be a timeout. So you tend to delay the snap, which then adds pressure the more the time goes where the other team is not calling timeout suddenly, oh, and they don't want to take a delay a game on a field goal and push it five yards back, right? Mm-hmm. So now I think that as the time goes on and, oh, my goodness, they're not calling timeout, I think that creates a little bit of, you know, um, nervousness. Or it can, and I mean, and or you know, like, oh, what's going? You're expecting them to ice ice you, and they're not. And mm-hmm. why are they not icing me? And then, boom. Um, but it, it's to your again, point. To, oh, to your point on icing the kickers, you are correct, except for one exception, which is John Gruden. John Gruden will absolutely take a delay of game just to make his kicker kick it five yards further. Or John Gruden. <laughs> John Gruden will call a hard snap on the goal line just to try and get that extra fourth of an inch of a yard. He's the one exception to your rule. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, and the second guessers, I mean, I was running through my head in the Cardinal game. I mean, the Cardinals, when they went for it on fourth and five 
from around midfield late in the game down two points, right? So um, the fact that uh, Kingsbury went for it on fourth and five there when he could have punted the ball and tried to pin the, the Vikings deep and try to get a three and out and get the ball back, knowing a field goal wins the game. Well, and, and that the play that that Kyler dialed up was a long pass, hoisted like a rainbow arc pass against zero, co- you know, uh, man-to-man coverage to Christian Kirk. If that pass fails, all the armchair quarterbacks will be like, what an idiot. I mean, it's thir- fourth and five. Not only do you go for it in that situation, which you shouldn't have done, now you're going to you throw a long pass that the, the percentages are not in your favor with Murray throwing it off his back foot on a high arching rainbow lob. And Christian Kirk has to make under pressure with the ball being contested. I mean, so right there. And then if uh, Greg Joseph makes the field goal without Cliff Kingsbury um, icing the kicker, all the armchair quarterbacks are going to say what? Well, I mean, the answer to that is, you know, Cliff Kingsbury can't clock manage. Cliff Kingsbury's too aggressive. Cliff Kingsbury is, you know, because he's had these mistakes in the past. I talk about the Patriots game all the time where he basically saved them by calling a timeout in a terrible, like, learn-on-the-fly clock management situation. But, it's more fuel to that fire if you armchair quarterback, you know, a play call that the Vikings read incredibly well. They blitzed two up the middle, both went unblocked, and, you know, there's, you know, nothing you can do unless there is something you can do because you have Kyler Murray at quarterback who's just going to fall right. back and throw a 30-yard perfect bomb that just made me right. say, what the, what the heck? Like, basically, just as I'm watching it, I couldn't believe it. So, Literally an unbelievable play is the only thing that saves it. But again, it's playing the result, like you said. Right. But even, let's go back to that Patriots-New England game, all right? And just for context for people who don't remember, so Kingsbury called a timeout with like 40 seconds left on third down for the Patriots because he wanted to get the ball back. and then Third down and 18, right? Third down and 18. Cam Newton hasn't passed hasn't connected on a pass for longer than 10 yards all game. Okay? And and the week before, the Cardinals were in a very similar situation, used the timeout, got the ball back, and kicked the winning field goal. So um, they already had the history of doing that. So here again, I it wasn't poor clock management to think that you couldn't stop a third and 18 against a quarterback that was not having a good day. It was poor execution because the Cardinals ran a full house blitz on Newton and Buda Baker was the outside guy and should have had contain. Instead, he went straight at Newton and Newton um, spun out to his left and suddenly he had wide open yards of field to run. And then compounded by when he converts the third and 18 by running out, you know, at the sticks. 
Isaiah Simmons hits him just as he's, you know, he hit him inbounds, but just as he's going out, and the refs called a roughing. Yes, uh, and for context, it was a tie game at this point. So Kingsbury could have just correct. let it run out to overtime. Correct. It, Where you're playing on the road in New England. I mean, I, I'm going to say this, and I know some people would disagree with me. I was in full support of him calling the timeout there because, A, the history of the week before, this was a scenario that they have practiced, and, B, the odds of the of Cam Newton completing a pass of over 18 yards in that situation, which he hadn't done all day. Um, what I do object to is that Vance Joseph – should should have, you know, I mean, here I am, armchair quarterbacking, but if you're going to call full house bit blitz, you better make sure one of your guys has contained. And, and, and this I mean, is where all the math is changing in the sport, too, where, you know, for all of time, you look and you say, well, the risk is the, my the reason I said it was one of the worst, <laughs> worst clock management things I'd seen is because is the risk worth it? Say you stop Cam Newton on third down. Well, now there's. 34 seconds left. They're punting back to the Cardinals and there's 28 seconds left and you're getting the ball inside your own 20 potentially. Well, no, can well, Kyler Murray go do something in 28 seconds. Well, they, they did the week before that. they did the week before. And this is where all the math is changing. Cause when, you know, Lamar Jackson goes for it on fourth and one, well, of course he converts that like 94, five percent of the time it just happened to be also that two of those fails happened to be against the titans in the playoffs a couple of years ago but he converts that 95 percent of the time so do you take the 95 percent chance there or do you take mahomes getting the ball inside his own 20 with you know 30 seconds left to go or 40 seconds left to go or whatever it was going to be this is where all the math in the sport is changing now where Oh, Mahomes can do that in like two plays. He can go get you in the field goal range. He just did it like two minutes ago where they had and three minutes and 18 seconds. And by the two minute warning, he already had go. him in field goal range. And Kyler's one of these guys too. Correct. And, and I really credit Harbaugh and the Ravens for going on that. Now, 95% of the time is under normal circumstances. With the game on the line, that's a different story. And, you know, the percentages are probably considerably less than that, um, you know, because of the circumstance and the high pressure, high leverage situation that, that, that is. Um, and to their credit, uh, Lamar got it. And I mean, they, no one, they didn't know it would be Lamar necessarily. Although I think it would be pretty safe to say that it was. What are they going to do? Give it to Devonta Freeman? Is Devonta Freeman going to get you that one yard? <laughs> uh, if you get a crease, he will. But you know what? Um, I think too is the that this is why quarterbacks like Lamar and Kyler put defenses at a in a quandary is that I would guess most defensive coordinators would think that in that situation. Instead of them running straight into the line, they would go wide and use their speed or run sort of a speed option. You know, so you have to have 
that covered, you can't, you know, you have to worry about your perimeter. And then they could screw everyone up and throw a pass, <laughs> you know, in that yeah. situation. Um, so, but that's the fascinating thing about football is, you know, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, the, you know, when, when plays break down or when, when teams convert, you know, um, it's, it makes for interesting conversation like we're having right now. And all the math changes in the sport based on which quarterback and which offense is playing too. Like I saw a stat this weekend that said Jimmy Garoppolo had his first QB sneak in like three seasons against the Eagles this week. And yeah. so maybe you don't trust that guy the same way you trust Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or Russell right. Wilson to get you two or three yards. Correct. And I noticed in week one when the Dolphins beat the Patriots uh, in New England um, that on third and ones, uh, Brian Flores was subbing in Jacoby Brissett for Tua. And on mm-hmm. both occasions, Brissett ran a quarterback sneak successfully. The reason I remember that is because I know Dolphins fans were panicking when they heard that. They're like, he's not – because they, they have uh, flashbacks to Fitzmagic getting subbed in for Tua as like the closer in certain situations. And so they're like, right. uh, this, isn't a, this isn't a Tua getting benched situation, right? Like Jacoby – like Tua's okay, right? Well, now he's injured. But that whole game they were like, uh, why is Jacoby in the game? Why is Jacoby playing? But it was just for the – the QB sneak package that they used him, they used for him on the Colts last year because right. Philip Rivers' knees would disintegrate if he tried to run a QB sneak. Yeah, I think that if you got a guy who's way better at it, go for it. The only problem with that is when a player comes in fresh off the field and hasn't played a snap in the game, or you know, as a quarterback taking a snap, it makes you a little nervous. Um, you know, that the snap about the snap, so but but I I like what they did there. I think that's what the Cardinals started out wanting to do last year with Chris Streveler, um, getting um, in short yard situations, and for whatever reason, they stopped doing it and it really hurt them. And and Kyler's never done it, so um, not not from under center, um. And the Cardinals repeatedly would, with Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds, they'd call running plays between the tackles and get stuffed short of the yards. And now faced with a fourth and and and, and one or um, yeah. So whichever way you can do it, I mean, heck, the Cardinals put J.J. Watt over center. <laughs> with Rodney Hudson and, you know, plow their way for a yard. I'd be all over it. I'd love it. It's funny you know, that you mentioned works. that because circling the internet this weekend was the fact that Vita Vea at 300 pounds was a running back in high school going up against like these 160, 170 pound guys. And that right. same idea technically works because the next evolution of football is that these guys on the interior and linebackers are going to get so small that someone is going to be able to go back to power running type football. Right. Um, Cause that's, that's the future quote unquote evolution of the sport. We're seeing some of it with Derrick Henry where now 
in the new Titans offense, the new and improved Titans offense without uh, Arthur Smith. They use him in the screen game as well more, but that's like the next evolution is these like 260 pound running backs that are just going to plow forward and guys can't tackle them. So, right. you know, maybe throwing a Vita Vea in there for a couple plays could be a good idea if you have a Vita Vea on your team. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. <laughs> Of course, the Packers drafted A.J. Dillon from B.C. in the second round um, in 2020. Yeah. Um, I love him. He was my favorite prospect coming in the draft at the running back position that year. I loved A.J. Dillon. Yeah, he attacks it, and he's got the size and the legs. and So, uh, yeah, to have that opt have you want a um, thunder and lightning option in the backfield uh, the way that the Packers do with um, Jones and Dylan. Aaron Jones, we were talking about him yesterday. By the way, congratulations to your Boston College Eagles, one of two remaining unbeatens in the ACC at this point. So that's a victory for you guys and Wake Forest, which is quite an unbelievable thing that those are the two unbeatens in the ACC at this point. (laughs) I mean, BC's schedule has not been – they really – I mean, I'm going to give Temple credit. They played hard against BC uh, in Philly. Um, and BC was now on their second, you know, turning to um, their second quarterback, Grossell, um, because uh, Djokovic um, was inj- is out for the year, I think. He might be able to squeeze back at the end of the year. He's got a, had a um, broken hand or something um, against UMass. And, but opening up against Colgate and UMass – um, Temple and was the last one. Temple. So two of the three games were on the road, though, which is one thing. But uh, the Eagles have a test SEC team coming in this week in oh, Missouri. Which one is it? Oh, okay. That's Missouri. Um, and it's a harder one, I guess. They're two and one. Um, what's fascinating, or and all actually sort of, sort of um, a bit controversial at this point, is that. Uh, you know, BC's all excited to play an SAC team. Of course, they're at home. Um, whereas the Missouri coach was went public yesterday and said, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not that psyched about having to go to Boston to play BC um, because he said, when is the last time we ever recruited a kid from Massachusetts at Missouri? And. Yeah. Um, I as if regional recruiting in college football doesn't exist anymore. Like regional recruiting exists to an extent because it's easier to get guys from certain places because of just investing resources. But everyone's recruiting from everywhere now. Yeah, you know, and I know, and but hey, it's a non-conference game, and you know. It's against a quality opponent. Yeah. Two I teams mean, of equal standing-ish. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would say something like that before a game, but uh, I don't know if that trickles over to the players. 
which I'm uh, glad you mentioned Missouri coach because he has the best, one of the best college football coaching names, which is Eli Drinkwitz. Yes. And Eli Drinkwitz is an excellent name for a college football coach. Sure. And as a Cardinals fan, this game is of interest to me because um, the most vilified scapegoat ever, Steve Wilkes, is the Missouri defensive coordinator. He is? Yep. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't sure if he was still hanging around somewhere, but good for Steve Wilkes. He's still got a job somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I hope that this gets him a head coaching job um, where he, I think he's a quality coach, Kyle. I mean, uh, it's just uh, he took the brunt of the – Bruce Arians hangover you know he came into a really rough situation you know he made some mistakes as all first year coach head coaches are going to do um but man he was not dealt a great hand I mean they signed Sam Bradford to be the savior and three games in it was clear Bradford was collecting his 20 million and not much more. Um, he was awful. And then, of course, they drafted Josh Rosen. So Three then different quickly, offensive coordinators in the season. And then, right. Mike McCoy was just the most unimaginative offense and the worst one in the league. And David Johnson wasn't looking like David Johnson. And, and the defense was under Wilkes. He changed it over to a four three for the first time in years in decades really I think um, and there was adjustments be, having to be made there uh, it was just all of it was just um, you know came at such a difficult time and I still feel really bad for Steve Wilkes because uh, aside from the money the guaranteed money he got um, he really got hosed in my opinion and um, I mean, not to say that the Cardinals should have made, I think what they should have done from the start was what I was hoping they would do and was writing about and ur- urging them to do was we knew they were going to draft a quarterback in the first round after missing out on Mahomes and Watson and, you know, the year before and, um, you know, kind of being left at the altar in that draft um, and and scrambling around, we knew they were going to cra- draft a quarterback. So my thought was, let's get a a QB guru head coach who's going to be able to groom this young quarterback. Um, and you know, I mean, they did what they should have done, Kyle. A year later, when they realized, all right, we need a quarterback guru. Let's get Kings Cliff Kingsbury. He's developed some of the best quarterbacks in football. They should have done it the year before. I'm not saying with necessarily Kingsbury or just somebody who who would fit that mold. And then also, then you could wed the coach with the QB. So the coach is in on the decision of who you draft. That's critical too. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know how much Steve Wilkes had 
you know, was was consulted in the Josh Rosen decision, but Wilkes isn't an offensive-minded um, coach to begin with. And Mike McCoy was on the scene then, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess McCoy must have signed off on it. But in retrospect, um, you know, the fact that McCoy was ineffective and Wilkes is a defensive guy and you draft this new quarterback and you throw him to the Wolves, I mean, and Rosen's never recovered from this either. Yet, I hope that with the Falcons and under Arthur Smith, he'll develop into a good QB two that can be counted on to start games if Matt Ryan um, is out for a game or two or more. Um, but I mean, Rosen got a tough deal too, I, and it just feels bad for everyone. Um, no, sometimes but- these guys get set up to fail like that, and. The quarterbacks are never heard from again. I'm not sure if Deshaun Kaiser is still in the NFL for that reason. But when you get set up to fail, sometimes it stunts your development. And those coaches sometimes get like black sheep because, you know, they they lose in laughable ways or they fail in laughable ways. And so, you know, Hugh Jackson's not allowed to coach anymore or Steve Wilkes is not allowed to coach anymore. I think (laughs) what's funny, I was watching the first episode of Hard Knocks and I saw Ben McAdoo hanging out there and I was so happy to see Ben McAdoo had found his way back into the NFL after he got fired for being right with the Giants, but he didn't get a job for like two years. Yeah, and, you know, you can get stigmatized. Adam Gase. What what not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, where's where's Gase now? Uh, Gase was coaching a high school team, but that was, I think, just because either his kid was playing or it was his local team or something. But he does okay. not have a job this year. Yeah, see, you know, but I mean, he'll he'll bounce back somewhere. The question is, will it be pros or college? Yeah, I, um, I bet he becomes a coordinator in college. Maybe he goes through the uh, the, the Nick Saban rehabilitation tour. Like, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien's about to get one of these good college jobs coming up, and then it'll be Doug Marone's turn as offensive coordinator, and then Doug Marone will get one of the good college jobs, and maybe maybe Adam Gase will go through that cycle to to get back to whatever he's yeah. going to next. Uh, you know, they're college football so much fun i mean i you know you can free cheers for ted lasso <laughs> yeah anyone <laughs> you know lead wichita state to prominence <laughs> and then land a job overseas i need um, to watch the second season we'll do a ted lasso episode coming up in a few weeks i've got oh, i'm two episodes in at this point but i'm waiting till all the episodes come out so i don't have to wait Okay, so this isn't too much of a spoiler, but my pal Trish and I last night were watching season two. I think it's episode three. You're going to meet um, Led Tasso. Um, okay, you, they're going to they're going to wheel him out in front of the team. Literally, <laughs> Led Tasso. <laughs> okay like, there's so teams. many directions this could go one of them being a giant lead statue but we'll see <laughs> oh my god so many options there oh my goodness okay i know oh, this is going to be interesting so um before you get out of here you want to make your picks for the week yes how All did right. i do uh so last week you came in at 
I believe was it three and two? You're five and five on the season. I know that. I forgot okay. if you were two and three or three and two after so last. What are the standings right now? So the standings sit as this: Cam from Daily Sports Dosage is in first at six three and one because he got a push on the uh, the Rams Colts at three points. Okay. So then you and I are five and five, and then Blake Jude of Stripe Hype Cincy and an NFL draft expert for us is four and six. Okay. So well, it's tied early for in the season. Yep. All right. All right. So let's go for the picks. What do you got this week? Well, let's start off with what I think is the game of the week: the Rams and the Bucks. It's a straight up pick 'em. It's in Los Angeles. Buccaneers at Los Angeles called by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. It is a straight up pick. No, no line on this. I'll go with Bucks. All right. Yeah. I I went the other way with the Rams. So we got a head to head against each other this week. So that should be fun. Um, Yeah. I, I, I just think that, uh, the Bucks defense can handle um, the Rams. Uh, Todd Bowles will get pressure on Stafford, and um, I would think. But you know, it's in LA. I was tempted because it's in LA. LA. I was tempted to go there, but um, I'm not convinced this Rams defense is going to be nearly as good as they were with Brandon Staley. Um, so. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards the Bucks on that one. All righty. Next up, we have the Bengals traveling at the Three Rivers Stadium in Heinz Field, Pittsburgh. The Steelers are four-point favorites at home against Cincinnati. I expect the Steelers to bounce back after last week's disappointment, so I'll take the Steelers. Yeah, I just realized you picked the game last week as well, and you nailed it on the on the Raiders. So, I guess I gave you a second chance to to claim your despondency for the Steelers. But I think I think I agree with you. I think this is a bounce back one for Pittsburgh. So, next up we have the Ravens traveling to the Detroit Lions. Ravens are nine point favorites at Detroit. Yeah, that's a tough call because of the points. Um, I think the safest bet is Ravens, so I'll go with Ravens. With, yeah, I don't know. know. To- I don't know if I could do that if I were you. I, I wouldn't be able to do the Lions with the points. I just don't believe in that team enough. <laughs> All of yeah. the receivers sound like fake names at this point. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they're. I like their running backs. I like – their offensive line is potentially excellent, but that Raven defense will probably be pretty, pretty hungry. And I think Lamar is going to get on a roll now, um, you know, after losing the first game that woke that team up and woke Lamar up. So the, I don't see the Lions defense being able to contain him very well. So plus the receivers. I made you pick a Lions game, so I won't also make you pick a Falcons game in the same week. That's our our compromised rule this year. If if anyone's going to pick the Lions, they're not allowed to pick the Falcons in the same week. Well, the Falcons made things interesting last week, didn't they? 
It was so close. And then Matt Ryan was sprawled on his back watching a guy run back for a pick six. It was so close. Uh-huh. It was so close. Jeez. Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, I know you're, you're, you obviously are still have high hopes. And Matt Ryan might get to, you know, 4,500 yards this year. But Matt Ryan looks to be aging just like a normal quarterback behind a, a team that's actively trying to lose, it looks like. so. Well, okay, I'm going to call timeout on this. Um, what you can expect, it's kind of what you can expect when you're learning a new system. Um, Arthur Smith's system was going to take Matt Ryan a little while. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's, he's, they've got some new personnel. Um, you know, Pitts at tight end, uh, and their running back situation. But uh, give Arthur Smith by midseason, you might be seeing a a whole different offense. Is to what I'm saying. I mean, I remember when Bruce Arians arrived in in Arizona and they traded for Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer said it. He didn't really feel like he had a command of the offense until like week 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Carson Palmer had been around the block many times, but when you, when you change systems like that and you're learning a new system and the whole team is, it's, it's just going to take time. Um, it typically does. And um, so that's where, I think that the Falcons can hit their stride later on in the season if if Matt Ryan can stay healthy and if from week to week they certainly made a, quite a leap offensively from week 1 to week 2. Um week 1 was a real disappointment but again you're putting in a new system this and that um and you didn't have the course sort of full preseason that you normally did do and you know so keep an eye on that I think uh as long as Ryan stays healthy, I think you're going to see improvements. I think he will. I think he can make it through the season. The part that concerns me is the lack of talent on the roster outside of Ridley, Pitts, him. Not a whole lot left after that. So, Don't they Next, have Hooper at tight end? Uh, I think Hooper's on the, uh, Hooper's on the Browns. Um, oh, right. Got, you got tra- <laughs> They've got a guy who's basically Hooper. They've got Hayden Hurst. It's basically just Hurst, another Hooper. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you got the two tight end. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm the cupboard's not bare. I mean, it's not bare. I yeah. still w- wanted so much to see them keep Julio Jones, so that you know we could see Julio Jones, Ridley, the the trifecta of Ridley Jones and Pitts. My version of that, that is I really wanted to see Daniel Jones play with Odell Beckham and see how that would have worked out for his career trajectory. <laughs> that was that's my version Good of that. I, I really wish that could have worked out for the Giants, but you know, everyone gets to be losers in that trade. The Giants got Jabril Peppers and Dexter Lawrence out of it. So everyone just gets to be a loser in the Odell trade. Right. So uh fourth game, Washington is at Buffalo, the Taylor Heineke led Washington football team the bills are eight point favorites at home oh that's a really tough call because washington's coming off an emotional win 
kind of like the Cardinals. They eked it out when they, you know, it looked like a sure loss um, or, a, you know, logical-looking loss, when, particularly when the field goal was missed. Um, and the Bills are coming off a great game, but after a very disappointing week one. Um, but they're back home at Washington defense. I still gonna, they're going to struggle with, you know, Allen. Um, it's eight points. Oh, jeez. I'm going to go for the just. I'm going to go with the red. Uh, no, excuse me, the football team to cover. Might be red something. They're down to four names apparently for the team. I just don't know what they are right now. This is poor preparation on my part as a as a podcast yeah. to bring it up. Yeah. Um, I think the last I heard, number one in the polls was the Guardians or something. Maybe um, that would be interesting if they went. Doesn't move the needle for most people, but. Yeah, let's see if I can let's see if I can find that by the end here. But final game is the Jets at the Denver Broncos. Broncos are ten point favorites. Broncos. Broncos to get to three and oh. All right. Yeah. Um boy, oh boy. I mean Zach Wilson. Uh woo. Rough day. Um, you know, I, for whatever reason, going into the draft, I didn't, I wasn't as high on Zach Wilson as other people were. There was something about him. It, it just, I wondered about his transition to the NFL. If he could play like he was at BYU um, and, and transition that, that style of play. And, you know, um, and, I think eventually he'll be a fine guy. I'm not sure if he'll ever be a star. But man, I I mean, I, I mean, I, did you see the interceptions? Uh, <laughs> I saw a couple of them. Of the four, I saw a couple. I of mean, them, but yeah, he's throwing the ball. There's no no jet in the area. I think my favorite I mean, stat from the weekend there is that of rookie quarterbacks who threw no touchdowns and four-plus interceptions, it's happened four times in the last 25 years in the NFL. And three of them now are Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold, and Zach Wilson. I think that was my favorite stat, is that they're all Jets quarterbacks that happen to throw interceptions at just higher rates than everyone else. Well, I'll tell you what, if he wasn't a first-round pick coming off that performance – and he was like an undrafted rookie, or he'd never see the field again. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, that was those those picks. At least three out of four, and I thought even all four out of four were just right to Patriots. I mean, right at them. I, I, I you know, I mean, the first one I thought, okay, well, he was a little frazzled or. But boy, oh boy, I mean, and that fourth one, the way he just threw it up for grabs into an area where there wasn't even a jet receiver and right into the welcoming arms of C.J. Jackson, who's playing cover three and a deep third. 
and with no receiver around, and he's got a ball coming right at him. All he has to do is catch it. I was just sort of like, wow. Now, this kid has a pedigree, and, you know, you look at his college tape, and you look, he can sling it. He, he's got a good arm and stuff like that. But He's got, um, like, one quarter of impressive football to start the season, and everything else okay. has been kind of bad. All right. And you know what? He's a rookie, and they're starting him from scratch. Um, but, man, okay, uh, I'm not sure that's a game you can bounce that quickly back from. But who knows? You know, he's going back out west. Uh, you know, it's not Utah, but it's high elevation in, in Denver. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he catches a little fire in that game. Maybe even also, late. Yeah, Bradley Chubb is gone for the Broncos now. He had surgery yesterday. That's a news that I don't know if people That's picked a tough up one. on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that their defense is still pretty good um, without him. Um, yeah, at home there, Broncos are on a on a bit of a roll right now, and yeah, yeah they're looking good. And Teddy Bridgewater is looking the part. The Broncos did something that I didn't. I wasn't sure if they could do, and it was beat the bad teams. And I wasn't sure if they could do right. that because I was all. I thought they could have been one of the bad teams themselves. So credit sure. to the Broncos so far. Yeah, and um, you know they've they've got a good coach, Fangio. Yes. Um, and I know that you've been predicting he'd be long gone by next year, but um, if he goes three and zero, he will make uh, it to the end of the season at least. He won't be the first coach fired anymore. You know that division. It's going to be tough to win in that division when you play. The Chiefs twice, the Raiders. Raiders are loaded on offense. Defense is a different story, but mm-hmm. I mean, Max Crosby is really carrying the day defensively for them. And um, they also but, play boy. Pittsburgh. They play um, Baltimore, Cleveland. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. they play. Uh, yep, I forgot what division they play now, but still, they they've got a tough schedule after the. <laughs> three easiest games being the first three weeks. And they've lost two key players already in Judy and and Chubb. Technically so. three, because they also lost Josie Jewell last week for the season. Oh, yeah, the linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good call. Yeah. I was super yeah. impressed with him in week one, so it was sad to see him go out for the season. Uh, um, it is. It's yeah, tough, but... yeah. To finish off, I did find my research. So apparently the four names they are down to are the Washington Armada, Washington Brigade, Washington Red Wolves, and Washington Red Hogs, which I'm glad Red Wolves is there because that was my pick from the beginning. I like Red Wolves, like Arkansas State. Nice. Yeah. So those those are the final names, apparently. Yeah, Armada does nothing. Brigade does nothing. Red Wolves could create a, a nice cult. They should go back to the old days and go with the Hogs. Yeah, that's on there. Washington you know, Red Hogs. I, I, mean, I guess. I mean, the Hogs, the fans would be showing up with the noses and like they always did with the cigars and like they always did. And <laughs> my, I love my that. My pal Trishy thought it should be the Washington Pigskins. I thought I that was that awesome. One. Yeah. That's an old-timey one. 
<laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah. Well, they're certainly keeping the red theme. Red Hawks, yeah. since there's already the Seahawks. There's a lot of bird the, teams. And you have the Falcons. I, I, you know, go with something different. There are no, no more birds in the NFL <laughs> yet, so Red Wolves would be great. I think Red Wolves, I of those four, yeah. That would you be like Red Wolves and Red Hogs? Those are the two you like? Well, I just like Hogs in general, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. you're a Red Wolves person. I like it. So, Walter, well, how about red, yeah. red Bulls? Red Bulls? Oh, that's a, see, that's a, that's a sponsorship thing because. I think the like Red Bull Energy like owns an MLS team. I think they're called like the New York Red Bulls. <laughs> so I think th- I think they can't get that one. That one's got some copyright issues. They got to go through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe just maybe just Bulls. Maybe they can get away with Bulls like Chicago does. Who knows? Right. But uh, Walter, thanks for the extra time this week. I know your your time is always valuable. So thank you again for coming on here and talking NFL with me. So I appreciate well, it. Hey, as man, always. You, you're, the, you're the man, little rock. Absolutely. I love hanging out with you and thank you for inviting me. And I'll looking forward to another red rain tomorrow. Um, or this week with Joe Camo. So um, thanks pal. You're, you're doing a great job and um, you know, keep it rolling. Absolutely. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Sounds great, pal. Take care.